We are kicking off a new series um, today called First Love. How many of you guys remember your first love? Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys are like, oh gosh, that is a horrible memory. But, um, but uh, the first love, and we're going to get into why we're calling it first love here in, in just a minute. But, you know, with a new year comes new goals, comes a new plan, comes new energy, new perspective. Uh, you know, the last couple of new years, we've been like, man, it can't be worse than the last one, right? But here we are, right? And so, but this is like a new year. And uh, for me, I'm an observer of people. That has just been how I've been since I was a little kid. Um, I, my emotional, like if you're looking at my kind of emotional highs and lows, I basically kind of go like this. And a little blip here and a little blip there. But that's like just kind of how I'm wired. And, uh, but I've always been an observer. I've been an observer of people. And, and uh, even down to little things, like I, I pay attention to how people walk. Like, because there's something that the way people carry themselves, like you can tell something by the way that someone walks. When um, then, at, you know, I've joked around over the years about watching people at grocery stores that, uh, you know, I watch and see what they do with their grocery cart on their way out. And, um, or whether or not they put the food back where it belongs. You guys, some of you guys have heard me talk about this before. Um, I really believe, I, I don't, I wouldn't hire someone who doesn't put their grocery cart back. Like, I really, I really mean that, um, because, like, that just says something about them, right? And, um, and so there's just something about, like, these observing, like, the little moments and everything. And over the past 18 to 24 months or so, you know, one of the things that we've observed is people getting so disconnected or um, some people feeling so lonely or some people hurting so much or uh, some people becoming so apathetic, you know, with their faith. And in the thing that I've been sharing with our staff and with leaders and everything is like, hey, this has been a season of just like planting seeds. Like we're not trying to necessarily start new things or do anything like that. It's just been a time of just plant some seeds that, and there's going to be some fruit that, you know, comes out later on. Um, but here's what I actually believe about this upcoming year. And, and I really, really believe this, um, that those that have taken this time to actually plant seeds, you're going to see a harvest of some kind. And um, I don't know how big, I don't know how big, um, but uh, I think we're going to actually see that, that this is going to be a year uh, where we're going to see some fruit start happening because we've been through, uh, here's what I know, through times of pain and suffering and, and when it gets really hard, if you're planting the right kinds of seeds, when you come out on the other side of it, you're going to see the harvest of what you planted. And, uh, and so, and I really believe that. I believe that for our church. Um, I believe that for people who have done that. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I haven't done anything. I've, been, I've planted no seeds. Um, that is okay. Like, it's never too late to start. And so part of this series, because I know a lot of times people are like, man, I just, we start off a year and we're like, I want to change and I want this new me and I want all these different things. And those are all great things. Uh, but part of why I wanted to do Ephesians for, we're going to be in it for 11 weeks, okay? So we're going to be 11 weeks together. And it's not even long enough. Like I was putting together the, the sermon series. Actually, when I originally mapped it out, it was going to be 24 weeks. And, um, and I was like, can I do that? Can I take a half a year to, to do it? And I, maybe I should have, but, but we're going we're gonna to do 11 weeks uh, together. Uh, because what's beautiful uh, about this letter that this guy named Paul wrote is um, what it does is it gives us uh, a way to understand how change can really happen and sustained change, but also it gives us a warning of what happens when we don't concentrate on the right things and what will happen in our lives. And so, um, so if, if you've, if you've kind of like had this plan for your life already and you get, you've mapped out all these goals and you're a goal setter, that's cool. Like if you're not a goal setter, don't worry about it. It's fine too. Um, it's funny, like sometimes I'll talk to like some very successful people, like, do you set goals? And they're like, no, right? And then, but then like other people will be like, yes, I set these like very specific goals and that's what I do. So whatever with the goals thing. But, 
But here's what I, I really do want for you. And actually, here's what we prayed for you this morning before you even walked into this room. We prayed that um, Psalm 51 over everybody, which was we, wanna, we want everyone to experience that this idea of like, I want God to create a new heart and a renewed spirit within me. And, um, and that's like kind of a heart with all of this. And so um, this series is going to be really attached to that and understanding um, why this, this letter is so important and begin to really understand real change and what it means to be committed uh, to something. So why first love? All right. So um, it's like, is this a romantic letter? Um, how many guys have ever like read Ephesians? Okay, it's totally cool if you haven't. It's totally fine. Um, but this letter, so you might not know much about this letter. Um, so it's not a love letter. It's not why we're calling it first love. It actually, we're calling it first love for a different reason. But first, I want to show you where Ephesians actually is. All right, so if you look at this map here, um, here's where Ephesians is. Or is it? We got it? Okay. Um, maybe not. Well, Ephesians is in modern day Turkey. Do I need to restart it? There we go. All right, so Ephesians is in um, modern-day Turkey right here, all right? So you can see, you're familiar with, like, where Greece is and everything. So I want you to have, like, a, a, a framework to understand, like, where it is. Because so, sometimes when we engage, like, the Bible in these cities are, are talked about or whatever, uh, we think it's, like, mythical. You know, we can kind of pick up the Bible, like, no, 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 these are actual places that you can go to and visit and everything. And so um, we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how this letter actually circulated and everything here to give you guys a little bit of meat to, to this letter. But um, it's in modern-day Turkey. And so this is powerful, powerful church that was established. But why do we want to talk about the first love? Here's why. 25 years after the letter was written to this church at Ephesus, um, this guy named John, he writes this letter, this letter that's at the end of our Bibles. It's called Revelation, all right? Now, the word revelation is actually interesting. A lot of times right now in our modern-day context, when you hear the word revelation, people always think about the end times, okay? But biblically, that's actually not what the word actually means, nor is what it actually points to. The word revelation in the Bible actually means that something is being revealed, all right? There's a mystery being talked about. There's something that's being, like, that... that um, that there's, there's something that's being brought to your attention, okay? It's not actually about the end times. And so um, when Revelation uh, is written, John is actually talking about these, these pivotal like seven churches, and one of them is the church of Ephesus. And I want you to see what he writes, because, again, he wrote this letter 25 years after Paul wrote this letter, all right? So roughly around 90-ish AD. And um, the reason why I want us to see this and why 25 years is so important is because... Stuff can change like that. You can be in a good spot, right? And then you look, and you know, a few years go by, and you look back, and you're like, holy cow, how did I get here? Like, it, it happened so fast. All right, so this is a church that was in a really sweet spot. And then this 25 years later, not that long in the scheme of things, look what John actually writes to the church. He says, I write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in the right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. That sounds weird. We're not going to get into that. Um, I could, but I won't. Um, but here's what is important. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work. Now he's talking about the church and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. And you're like, man, this sounds actually good. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered uh, for me, right, without quitting. So all of this is good. John writes this letter. He's like, man, 
And this is like Jesus is, is speaking through him, and it's like, this is what is, is happening. Jesus is like, hey, I know who you are. I know what you've done. Um, and you don't tolerate evil people. You've patiently suffered uh, for me. He says, but I do have this complaint against you. All right? So it's like, you are good people, and you do have some good doctrine. But here's the thing. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. That is a big deal. That there was something, um, and, and probably most of us in this room have felt this at some point. If you can remember, um, if you've dated someone and you got pretty serious, um, those, that first kind of rush, you're like, ah, right? You'll do anything and everything in that moment. And then what, time goes by and you're like, hmm. Do you remember when I used to do those things? Do you remember when you used to rub my feet? And you're like, oh gosh, I hated it every second that I did that, right? You know, whatever. And, um, but, you, but you're like, man, there's things that you used to do that you no longer do. And it's like, man, there, there's something there. And so what John's writing here, and kind of, again, the word through Jesus is like, you used to love me with this passion and this zeal, but you don't anymore. And that's a big deal. And so he continues, he says, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And this is, this is a big deal. If you don't, look at that. If you don't repent, which just means I need you to turn back around, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. And so he's like, you, got, you were in a good spot. You forgot what that was like. And here's the deal. Because you forgot your first love, I, and this is God talking, he's like, I can, I can remove you, meaning not I'm going to kill you, not I'm going to, it's like, he's, what he's saying, I'm going to remove the influence that you have. And you'll, you'll become kind of like just dead. You're just like, I'm going to remove the influence that you have. But this is in your favor. So he's like, but you still got some good things working for you. Like, so you're not like that far gone, right? You hate the evil deeds of the, Nicol the Nicolaitans, 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 and just as I do. Nickelodeon is a whole other thing. Anyway, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life and the paradise of God. And so what he's setting up here, and he's like, listen, you guys are good people. Um, you have good doctrine. You, you, you talk about all the right things, but you've lost your first love. You've lost your passion. You've lost your commitment. You've lost those very things that, man, that got you to this sweet spot. Now, there's some good things that you do, right? So he's like, it's like an encouragement, but also like it's a warning. So he's like, there's some good things that you still do. Even though you've lost your first love, I, I get it. I see it. it's still inside of you. Like you're, you don't love the evil deeds of those people. Now, we don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans, but like, like what we do know um, is that they were, kind, they were the kind of people who would proclaim that they were believers, but they would also say that they were also, um, it was cool to just kind of participate in everything that the empire did. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually be impacted by it. And so what they did was they watered down everything in a really shallow, shallow faith. And so what the letter here is saying is like, I, I, I can still see that you're like, ah, that's not right. And you know shallow faith isn't okay. And so I see there's good things in you, but I'm warning you. I'm warning you. If you don't turn around and see this first love, I'm going to remove you. I'm going to remove your influence. I'm going to remove the impact. You might think, whoa, that feels aggressive. 
happen? And I would hit pause there for a second, because sometimes we think, like, why would God want to do that? Why would he want to, like, remove something? And you might think, like, that feels like, uh, does the, the, the punishment, like, fit the crime, right? I would say this. Why, why would God not do something like that? A, a grouping of people have lessened their love for him. A grouping of people. So, so what happens when you lessen your love for God? Um, you don't love him or love others as well as you think you do. And the end result is we can give God a bad name. And so, so why would God sit there and be like, you know what I'm going to do? Because like at the end here, he says, like, listen, to everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God, right? This is like an eternal perspective, but also a present one. And he's like, listen, to those who really do want to commit to me and, and have this first love kind of heart towards me, I, I'm with you. And it doesn't mean that God, like, forsakes you. It doesn't mean, like, and some of you guys know this. Um, listen, in my own personal story, I know this. That, like, when I was reading, when I was reading this, this this past week, and, and I'd been reading it over and over and over again, and I was just like, man, this was me for, like, 10 years. Where I, I knew all the stories. I knew all of the, the right things. I would see kind of the quote-unquote, evil deeds of people and be like, mm, that's not right, even though I was doing some stuff myself that wasn't certainly not right. And, and it, well, here's what I felt. It wasn't that God was like, you're gone, you're dead to me. It was just like, I did not feel the connection to God that I do right now. I do not feel the fruit coming out of my life that I do right now. I don't feel the, the sensitivity to uh, the spirit of God because I was, I was disconnected. And so it was like I was, my influence was removed there. And, and so, but man, when I stepped back into it, and I was like, no, I, I do want to remember my first love. I do want to love God with, with all that's inside of me. It doesn't mean that I get it right all the time now. But what it does mean is like, man, there's this different kind of connection in my life. And it's different experience with God. And so that's the warning that John is giving this church of Ephesus. That's the thing that he's pushing into to these guys. He's like, man, I don't want you to lose your first love. Now, how do we know, and this is important, how do we know if we're heading down the wrong path and we're becoming dis disconnected in this warning? Let me give you a couple, of, a couple of ways. I'll get there in a second. How do we know if we're headed in the wrong direction? Lack of commitment, all right? A lack of commitment. Here's what I mean by a lack of commitment. Uh, you know what you are, what you're committed to and what you're not committed to. Here's how you know. Uh, you prioritize your time for it. You're willing to sacrifice for it. Um, you will switch anything for it. You design your community around it. And so you, you know what you are committed to. And that becomes an important piece of understanding, like, if, if I'm not committed to the right things, like, I'm, I'm going to become disconnected from God. So this is why we always say, uh, we, we want you deeply committed and deeply rooted. Ephesians 3, we'll actually, we'll read this in a couple weeks, but he talks about being deeply rooted. And so we want, we want people deeply rooted, meaning deeply committed to a church community. Um, because that's when you're like, man, when, when I'm committed to that, I know that, what, I'm moving towards something moving, I'm, I'm connected in such a way that I'm like, this is something that I love and desire in my heart. The second thing, a lack of action, that you're not actually like living it out in the way that you think you should be, or that you should be, I should say. 
that there's a lack of, lack of action in your life and you see it and you know it. And this is part of like when we self-assess and when we begin to understand like who, if someone were to, to sit down with you and be like, do you love Jesus? And you responded, yes. And they said, how do you have an answer? And if your answer is, because well, I just told you so, that's not an answer, right? We have to be able to articulate, no, no, I do love Jesus, and, and this is how I'm loving Jesus. All right? And so we begin to see this. And for some of us in this room, listen, we're at step one of this, okay? And that's okay. All right? Some of you guys are more seasoned. It's, it's a bigger challenge because you can, when you're more seasoned, you can see like, oh, man, I have lost a little bit of that first love. I, I've lost a little bit of that zeal that used to be there, and, and you can see it, but we need to have action. And the last thing, you, you, a lack of growth, a lack of growth. Um, I wanna be careful with that phrasing because um, first of all, as someone who is an achiever, um, I, always wanna, I always wanna grow. And I always wanna have, like, I wanna see myself grow and, and see myself be challenged and achieve certain things. Um, but I wanna be careful with that because uh, there are moments in your life where you're not gonna feel like you've grown spiritually. And you'll almost, there'll be times where you feel like you're even stale. You feel like it's like, ah, I'm grinding, I'm grinding to this. And it feels like you're just like running in cement boots, right? And, and it's like, you're just kind of, you're getting there, but you're just like, gosh, I, I'm not growing like I did two years ago or like I did 10 years ago. Let me just encourage you. When you stay committed in those seasons, you're actually growing. You just don't experience it yet. But that, because you're committed to it and you have an active life in that, you're like, even in these stale moments, I am committed to my faith. I'm committed to growing. And eventually you'll get there. It might take you way longer than you hoped. But I'm telling you, you just got to keep pushing through. That's part of the process. And that's what we uh, need to have in our lives to understand, like, man, if, if I have a lack of commitment, a lack of action, and a lack of growth, Here's just the reality. You will, either you're on your way to forgetting your first love of Jesus or you've already done it. And so that's why it's just such a heavy thing to take in. And so we begin to kind of process this a little bit differently. And so why the letter of Ephesians? And so why is it so important? Well, the church at Ephesus, um, again, uh, when that was established, Paul, this guy Paul was one of, it was one of the leaders of it. Him and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, who are two other people, helped start the church. Um, this guy named Timothy, who there's another letter written to him in the Bible, 1 and 2 Timothy, he was the pastor of the church and um, helped lead the church of Ephesus. And so the church of Ephesus was established, the letter was written right around the mid-60s, okay, so around 65 AD. And the church of Ephesus was like a hub of Christianity. Antioch was the first city of Christianity where things kind of started, but Ephesus became the main hub after that. Um, there's kind of what tradition tells us is that uh, not only John, who wrote Revelation, but wrote the Gospel of John and um, first, second, and third, John was one of the closest people to Jesus, uh, that he actually lived in Ephesus with Jesus' mother, Mary. Uh, and so Ephesus was like, how to picture Ephesus is more like a New York City, LA type of feel, all right? It was a commerce hub. Everyone went there. It was a really big deal. So Christianity started in Antioch and Jerusalem area and then moved out. The hub became uh, Ephesus. There were so many things that were happening out of there. And let me go back to the map so you can see it. And here's the reason why. 
you can see all the water that surrounds there. So they were, they were able to go in all these different directions out of Ephesus. It became so important. So a lot of Paul's missionary journeys were kind of funneling in this way, and it was easy to get uh, to different places. This letter that was written uh, to the church, uh, it's called a cyclical letter. And here's what it means. Um, if you were to look at this map, you would see all these churches established this way and this way and this way. And this letter, um, was it written specifically to the church at Ephesus? Probably not. It was probably written in general to the churches. And, um, but Ephesus had a huge, again, as a huge focus point. And it's a cyclical letter. It means that this general letter was passed around to all the churches. All right, so because you can see some overlap here with Paul's writings. And so this letter became like a huge deal, but it was centered around because, again, with Ephesus being the hub, it would have started there. And it would have been like, hey, I want you guys to hone in on these things. And these things are really important. And as we begin to look through this letter, you're going to see in the first part, these first few weeks, Paul really focuses on the theological and doctrinal element. And then the last few weeks, we're going to look at how it gets lived out. There's a big shift around Ephesians chapter 3. Um, when we look at the point of this letter, here's why Paul wrote this. Watch this. He says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, so look what he's saying here. And this is why it's important to read your Bible, okay, and to understand. It's like, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs. All right, this is a huge deal. And they're members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So here's this thing that Paul's talking about that you're going to see. That what happens is this life in the Spirit brings about a revelation of the things of Jesus. So this is why he's saying he wrote this letter. This is the purpose of this letter. is for the revelation, the revealing of Jesus in your life. The revealing that the Spirit of God begins to, it will reveal things, mysteries to you of the things of Jesus and the things that he taught. And that these things, here's what they're going to do. And this is why I said that when he says the Gentiles, Gentiles are co-heirs. He, he says this, and you're going to see this time and time again in his letter. That when the revelation of Jesus is revealed, there's reconciliation with people. And that's the point of him writing this. I want to reveal to you the things of Christ. And here's the thing. When the things of Christ are revealed, reconciliation happens with people. You can't get around it. So, are we in our country, we could say this literally anywhere, are we a reconciled people? It's okay. Like, no, we're not, right? We go tribal, we go tribal hard, right? Here's the thing when we go tribal. It's a first indicator that Jesus is not being revealed. You see, when this message of Jesus comes into a grouping of people, and this is why, like, even within Christian community, I'll just talk about just, like, Christians in the church. If Christians aren't coming together, in, un in unity. And yeah, we've had differences and all that stuff. We get all that. But like the heart of unity, then guess what? Then actually the mystery and the realities of Jesus are not there. 
that when there's division and there's hatred and there's just tribal thinking and we're, and, uh, we're really being, like we have like hate language and we're trying to divide all that stuff, it's like that is not Jesus. That when Jesus is actually being lived out, when Jesus is actually being, lo- when we're, we're loving like Jesus taught us to love, here's what ends up happening. We feel and sense and participate in the reconciliation of people. So what ends up happening is when we start having conversations, whatever they're around, it doesn't matter. Because the heart says, all right, man, if Jesus is in this, then then we're not going to divide here. We're going to actually come together. If Jesus is in this, here's what's going to happen. Man, people are going to come to a deeper knowledge of what it means to to love him and, and know him. And when Jesus is in this, like, let me just, you know, the racial conversation is an easy one to talk about because um, if you read Ephesians and, and Galatians in particular, you're going to see, see, like, man, Paul was all about multi-ethnic communities. Paul was all about bringing people together. Paul was all about this. And the way that he did this was like, man, it, when Jesus is in a, a conversation around race, here's what happens. People listen to one another. People deeply love one another. People enter in and be like, what does justice look like in this scenario? And people are like, how do we bring people together? And you'll see that, like, I'm telling you, like, this is the point of Paul's letter. He's like, I want you to see, reveal what it means to live like Jesus. And when you're living like Jesus, reconciliation with people happens. And you're going to see this time and time and time again in this letter. Um, almost every single week that I will read something or whoever's teaching will read something, this concept will be coming up. You cannot get around it. It's like he's like, man, there's something about this revelation and there's something about the reconciliation. It's time and time and time again. And so I want us to look at Paul, one of Paul's prayers here to end today um, because I want you to see how he begins to even pray for this church. And they're in like this sweet spot where they have this like, great zeal for God and they're like, they're killing it. You know, like if, if, in terms of like the church kind of dynamic and loving Jesus, like they're, they're crushing it at this moment. Um, the story of Ephesus in the, the Ephesian church was like so powerful, even how it started. It was like very dramatic. Um, you can read about it in Acts chapter uh, 19. And uh, what, what ends up happening is like, man, these powerful miracles are happening. The economy gets flipped upside down. Like all this stuff is happening. And so they've really got this great zeal and great passion uh, for Jesus. And Paul prays for them. And I want you to just see this one prayer and how he talks about it. He says this. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. See that? Here's that reconciliation part again. Because he's saying, listen, you have a love, when, when people like love Jesus, you have a love of people like everywhere. Everywhere. And it doesn't matter where they're from or who they are or what they look like. There's like a love of people everywhere. He says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, look at this, spiritual wisdom and insight so that, right, so this is important, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God, not in your facts of God, but grow in your knowledge of God, which means deep inside of you. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that, here it is again, You can understand the confident hope he has given those he has called his holy people who are in his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand 
the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, right? This is going to be something else that comes up. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So I want to highlight just two things in this prayer. There's a lot I could. But I want to highlight two things because these two things become so important for us to understand our first love and to understand where we're going to go in this series. The first thing is this, that there's a wisdom and knowledge of God. So when Paul is praying, he's praying that we would have, um, that, that those who follow Jesus would have this deep wisdom and knowledge of God. Um, a lot of times when we think about wisdom, we think um, people that know stuff, right? That's not how the Bible talks about wisdom. What the Bible talks about wisdom, it talks about it in a way that's like, like someone can bring the full potential, they can see the full potential in something, and that's what they bring out. So they see like deep things that, like, that other people don't see. Like there's, there's something about it. It's not necessarily about intelligence, or education, it's like, you know, the, the wisdom is like, man, when you're going through something tough, like they see something other people don't see. There's a wisdom in how they approach things. And what Paul says, I mean, think about how we pray. Uh, if you're going through something tough, do you pray for wisdom or do you pray to get out of it? Often to get out of it, right? When we pray for people, God, would, would, you, would, you, would you protect them from this and like allow them to get out of this situation? But we should probably, that's not saying it's a bad prayer, but we should probably be also praying for wisdom and knowledge of God in it. Because what Paul is saying is like, man, he's not praying for your circumstance, he's praying for our hearts and our understanding. And that's a different kind of way that Paul's approaching his prayer. He's like, yeah, circumstances matter, but man, I want to pray for people's hearts and understanding of God in your circumstances. To be able to see God in your circumstance is a different way. And there's a deeper knowledge of, of God there so that you can understand what's actually happening. If you've been around people, um, I mean, I've shared this story a bunch of times here, um, but when I experienced this on a deep level with uh, my in-laws. Um, when uh, Lacey and I had been married for nine months, uh, her brother was killed in a car accident. And uh, I remember at the, at the memorial service, um, seeing like the whole family, um, Lacey and her parents, like just standing, the arms raised, worshiping God. And there were like a, a couple thousand people in the room. And they're just standing, raising their hands, worshiping God as, you know, literally three days after their... Um, 18-year-old son had been killed. And I'm, I'm watching this, and then I'm hearing them talk to people afterwards. It doesn't mean they weren't grieved. They grieved for a long time. Um, it doesn't mean they weren't hurt. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering in through all of that. But here's the thing. As Paul prayed, is like, man, I want you to have a deeper knowledge of God so that you can understand the confident hope you have in Jesus. And that's what I experienced. They were grieving, and it was really hard. But they also understood this confident hope that they had in Jesus that allowed them to raise their hands in worship. 
that allowed them to begin to share with other people in the midst of it. That since then has allowed them to, to share over the you know, past 19, 20 years, has, has allowed them to share with, with parents that have lost kids or have gone through tough things. That's allowed them to like, let me tell you about the confident hope we have in Jesus. And so that was, that was real wisdom. That was real knowledge. That was real knowledge of who God is so that they understood the confident hope. That was something so different. And I got to see that live right in front of me. The other thing that Paul talks about is aware of cosmic realities. Now, this is something, maybe I'll dig into this more in the series. I'm not sure yet because it's some stuff I like to nerd out on. But um, here's the reality of what Paul is talking about. Not only from it, uh, just kind of the worldview uh, of, of a lot of Jewish people back then, um, but He's saying that there is a realm of things that are, is not seen that has an impact on what we do see. All right? And so what he's saying here is, um, you know how like in quantum physics, when you hear people talk about that there's a level of mass happening that you can't see? Like there's like, like they'll talk about this, like there's stuff happening that we don't understand and we can't see, but it, it's making things happen like kind of in like physics and how they understand it. And, and they're, they're like, there, there's this other realm of stuff that we don't understand and we can't see, but it's impacting what we can see. And so what Paul is saying is like, hey, there's a realm of stuff, a cosmic realities and a spiritual realm that impacts this world around you, that is constantly trying to, to uh, tempt us and um, uh, trying to distract us. And in, in, in this realm will, will have a huge impact on your life. And you got to understand that it's actually there. And if you don't, if you don't understand this heavenly realms idea, and you just kind of think, oh, I'm just here, and, and there's not really anything else going on, that you're, you're going to be deeply, deeply impacted, and you don't even realize it. And there's this level of temptation that ends up happening. Um, here's, I'll just, here's how they typically talked about it, right? There was, I, I actually drew this on um, Christmas Eve in a different way. But here's how they thought. They thought heaven up here, earth down here, and that in this intersection right here is kind of where Jesus is like heaven on earth. But here's what else they also thought about this heavenly realm. I don't know how else to draw them, so I'll just draw them like little ghosts, okay? There are these little ghosts, not really, but I'll draw them as little ghosts. That this, this heavenly realm, that there's other things that are operating. There are other things that are operating. The Bible is like, listen, there, there are some things in the Bible that are like crazy, like they talk about like, that there are um, little gods over nations throughout the world. You can read about this in, in 2 Kings and in Deuteronomy. Um, in, in Psalms, it talks about uh, like this counsel to God that are trying to like argue things to, to God. And, and so there's, like, there's these heavenly realms, these things that are happening that are impacting systems and governments and, and the world around us, all right? So there's the kind of the spiritual realm. So Paul's like, do not take this lightly that there's a spiritual realm of stuff that's happening. Like, um, I've heard people talk about this before. Uh, Woodstock, everyone knows what Woodstock is. And what, what happened not only at Woodstock, but then afterwards was, was truly horrible, like honestly. Um, it created the sexual revolution. Um, so, so, I mean, it created the sexual revolution. Here's what happened after the sexual revolution. Uh, No-fault divorce 
brought, was brought into play. Abortions skyrocketed, which meant um, the, the view of like, the quality of life in, the, in people's life was, was lessened, uh, of human life. Um, get this, STDs, prior to that, um, there were only two. Um, after Woodstock, there were 27. All right, soon afterwards, the, the, the STDs like, grew like crazy. Um, the, all these other things started happening. And, and here's what's just fascinating about all of it. Was it one person's decision to create Woodstock? Was it one person's thing that like, created all this crappy stuff that happened afterwards? No, there was something else going on. It wasn't just a collection of, of people. It was like, nah, there's all these other, there's all these realms of things, like these spiritual temptations and, and desires and distractions that are, that are around us. And Paul is saying, like, listen, do not take those lightly. God wins. When Jesus was up on that cross and he, was, he rose again, he defeated all those things. But it doesn't mean that they're gone. We're going to be tempted by them. And we feel those things. And you know it, and I know it. How many of you guys have ever been tempted before? Yeah, right? You've probably felt this. You've felt yourself move in a direction towards something, and you don't know why. You, you know something is wrong, yet you feel a pull towards it. There is something else happening in the realm that they're talking about here. And so Paul's like, do not underestimate the realities of the spiritual realms around you. And here's why he talks about it. He says that God has authority over all of it. But the problem is, is we give authority to the wrong things. And that is what we have to wrestle with. Band, you guys can come back up. This letter becomes important for like, un us understanding if we give authority to the wrong things in our lives, we will lose focus on what the confident hope of Jesus is. If we give authority to the wrong things in our lives, we will lose our first love and our passion for him. If we give authority to the wrong things in our lives, we will buy into and give into the distraction and the temptations of the spiritual things around us. So that is the question I want to just end us with. What power has the ultimate authority in your life right now? We're just going to take a few seconds here um, to just process that. And uh, so I want everyone to just close their eyes and spend a moment in silence of maybe there's something you've given power and authority to in your life that It's really detrimental to understanding the hope of Jesus and the love you have in him.